Welcome to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. Uh, today, we're incredibly lucky to have not one, but two titans of Westminster journalism to take us inside the <laughs> lobby. The journalists that cover Westminster on a daily basis. Our guests have worked for some of the biggest news outlets in the country and broken some of the biggest stories in recent years, having a front row seat to Brexit, Corbyn, and the rise and fall of Boris Johnson and the daily goings-on in government. So we're super pleased today to welcome Harry Cole. Hello. And Kate McCann. Hello. Um, I thought, given um, we've started with a few people so far and kind of like just how they got into, you know, being an MP or special advisor, uh, I thought we might just start with, you know, how either of you got into journalism or particularly into the lobby. Harry? Um, sort of by mistake, actually. Um, once upon a time, there was something called bloggers. And um, when, I, when I didn't have a job after university, I ended up as a blogger. Uh, and so uh, that sort of became, everyone became bloggers, really. Once upon a time, there was, you know, the internet and there was newspapers. And then suddenly sort of Twitter came along, websites came along, and everyone was scrambling around to find people that understood how breaking news and fast news worked or online political news, which was what I was doing at the Guido Fuchs blog, and managed to so far turn that into a successful career. Thank you very much. Kate? Well, I mean, I I suppose mine was an accident too. I'm not a trained journalist, nor is Harry actually, so we're probably the worst people to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you no, said I, hope not, I hope there's not a shorthand test. Yeah. I feel like there should be a disclaimer on that. And actually, Harry came to the Sun newspaper when I was at the Sun. His first day was pretty much my last day. Um, so yeah, there's no, there's nothing to be read into that. But we both came to it by mistake. And I don't think I really knew that political journalism existed as a job. I did the newspaper at university and I realised that that was something that I probably wanted to do. And then I was just really lucky. And I spent a lot of time asking people to employ me, basically, until they did. Yeah. I, so on that, though, I was saying to Harry the other day, when I first started reading newspapers, it was the sun. Mm -hmm. And when I would read a story, you know, the front page, it would have been uh, Trevor Kavanagh. Yeah. And But I wouldn't have thought it was politics. So it's like, I don't know, that's... Like your point is like, you know, I wonder if how many people who watch you think of it as political journalism or they just think of it as the news. Political journalism also seems to adopt, it seems to be, the lobby is almost, almost like a jack of all trades. When there's a massive health story, for example, as we've seen in the pandemic, we all became health correspondents for two years during times of financial strife the lobby seem to be the go-to people to to be the sort of first reactions to to, to economic news so in a, in a strange way newspapers sort of rely on lobby journalists to sort of be the jack, jack of all trades really mm. but on that Kate so the lobby when you know it's, it's one of the things we're trying to do with the with the podcast is take um common terms that we read about all the time mm -hmm. so we're going to look at cabinet meetings legislation and try and work out what what actually are they i hope so, we know the answers <laughs> well i've got the experts so it, for, for for listeners who don't know when people say the lobby what exactly does it mean well it means it's an actual place but it's also a group of journalists so it's a group of it's every political journalist from newspapers from tv stations from radio and from other publications too and we all have a desk or most of us have a desk in a place called the lobby in parliament and it's one long corridor there's lots of rooms off it and people might be quite surprised to hear that we all work with the doors open. So the Telegraph is just over the corridor, very, very narrow corridor from The Guardian. The Sun actually has the Evening Standard and ITV in the mm. same room. And people might think, well, how do you keep your scoop secret? How do you make sure that people don't overhear you? And for most of the time, that place works on the basis that if you accidentally did hear something, you would respect your colleagues. There's a little bit of gentleman's agreement going on. You can have phone calls in on staircases to make sure that people don't hear what you're doing. But it is quite strange because we're all in this one big place together. Yeah. And some people really hate that because they think what it does is breeds this system where we all follow the same direction. We're not able to look at different things at the same time. And I, I would argue that's not true. And I think actually it's good because what we are together is more powerful against a pretty powerful government that sometimes tries to shut us out. And we do use that power sometimes if ministers try to uh, keep us out of announcements. Yeah. 
The good thing there, Kate, is, of course, you say that the government tries to shut you up, but there's always a backbench uh, MP who's always gagging to try and get their name <laughs> in the newspaper. Well, yes, so I'm sure course. you can always find a way of getting a story in Do you somehow. mean someone who's desperate to be part of a, a fuel campaign, for example? Like fair uh, fuel. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're sort of joining the Sun's campaign and, and their readers and uh, making sure you keep the, the cut to fuel duty, something Pretty Patel did a fantastic job of doing. And, you know, I'm glad to have played didn't, my small part in I have to say, you didn't pick up the phone as much when you're a minister, Jonathan. Busted. <laughs> 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 I was, it was 51 days Harry I, don't, I think I, I barely moved in <laughs> barely 160 moved. missed calls though wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting for me I remember being a new MP was we had our whips training um, well sorry I say whip whip camp um, where obviously they tell us that uh, the lobby are not to be trusted. You must stay away from all of them. Uh, you know they are these are these are people that will build you up and tear you down. And then the end of that week, we got an invitation to drinks with the lobby to meet all the journalists and all the brand new colleagues turned up and. I'm sure some had a few too many drinks and shared probably secrets because I saw them being <laughs> printed in the newspaper the next day. So uh, it was quite interesting that that advice was ignored right out of the bat. And I think one of the other jokes that goes around as a MP is if you're in Parliament and you're ever looking at the chamber, you've got the people who can sit behind the screen. Then there's people who can sit on the side and the far end above the speaker's chair, you can see the lobby and I like to nickname that it's a, a nest of vultures just looking down upon us all ready to pick us off one by one we'll, we'll wait to hear what they call you well I uh, I think I've read about it James in quite a few occasions so um, I suppose what I'm interested in is how essential for your job is it to have a relationship with MPs or is it more important to have a relationship with the government twofold really and there is one of the sort of privileges of the lobby and you can argue that it's a closed shop trade union is because um, you do get unprecedented access to government. You have on-the-record briefings every day. You have off-the-record briefings multiple times a day. That Lots of people from the outside look at it and say, oh, look at how sinister that is. It's just a closed shop trade union. It's a cartel. What's going on behind the scenes? They're cooking stuff up with the government. You can make that argument. Sure, it's nonsense, frankly. But the other side of the, of, of the coin is also you have a pass that gives you free reign to all of Westminster where... You spend far, far, far more of your time talking to people who are not in government or opposition MPs or backbench MPs. Um, and that's actually often, more often than not, far more useful. Uh, sort of a currency you realise in this job is actually you often find out a lot more of what's going on from what government is telling their own MPs or not telling their own MPs in some cases, then they're ever going to tell you. So actually, the idea that we're all sort of just sitting there waiting for dictation from number 10 is just, just nonsense. On, on that, Kate, is there an average day covering, the, you know, co covering for the lobby? Like, it, it, you know, how do you divide your data? Because you've got to get the patch of what's generally going on, I guess. I mean, yeah. tell me if I'm wrong. And then also that the, I assume there's some pressure to have a big story, you know, yeah, exclusive. There yeah, there, I mean, there is a there is a normal day. But I suppose what I'd say first is to Jonathan's point about the whips saying don't interact with journalists they say that for a reason now remember what the whips are in parliament for they are there to meter out essentially to make sure that mps do what the government wants they are all about discipline and everybody pointing in the same direction it is entirely in the whip's interest to say don't speak to journalists because they know that actually there's a huge amount of power in mps who do do that because you can use journalists to campaign for something that you want to get you know the government to do and the government doesn't like it. That's part of the reason why you're told to stay away from journalists. But in terms of what a regular day looks like, it's different for broadcast and print. So I'm mm. a broadcast journalist now. I work on television and radio. I used to work in print. We probably all start off doing the same thing, which is listening to a morning radio programme, listening to the round that the minister is on, reading playbook, reading any other different emails that you want to do. Just try to gather as much information as you can, look at all the front pages, and eventually you'll read all of the newspapers. Everybody should be doing that. But then from there, you work out what your day looks like. So the broadcast is completely different. And I didn't realise this when I first started, but broadcast is about telling the story of the day and doing it in a way that gives people a little bit more information than maybe that they would get if they had just, you know, come to this story fresh. With a newspaper, it's about telling the story of tomorrow. It's about mm. telling people what is going to happen tomorrow that you didn't know. And that assumes quite a huge quite a kind of level of that. detail yeah it's a really important distinction and mm. i didn't really think about it either when i left papers and it's a different skill because what i don't 
spend a huge amount of time doing. And actually, you probably notice it. Broadcast journalists don't get as many scoops as print journalists do. Mm. And it's for a reason, because we do a different job. We can get big stories and and we can break news. But actually, what we're here for is to try and help people navigate and understand what the government is doing day to day. Whereas Harry's job is a lot more about trying to figure out what they are doing in the next couple of days or maybe what they're not doing, which is a slightly different skill. But I know a few people who have gone from print, in, especially with the new stations that, that have happened. And, you know, there, there was a few of you that would have been well known for breaking really big stories. Mm-hmm. And then I've noticed that you go and you have that. Oh, also, I've seen your day and it seems like it, it's a long day to me. Yeah, it's relentless. <laughs> is there, it's obviously a different dynamic, as you said, like is, there must be bits you miss or is it, it's a different skill? You know, how, how do you find it? I find broadcast, you have to be across a lot more in your day so in print your your journalist you have a team of journalists in in a print publication and everybody will have a different responsibility so you might have a focus on home affairs somebody might focus on green you know within the team within the team yeah so you'll split the team out so when i worked at the sun i was responsible for home affairs so i was my job was not to miss anything on that beat and if i did then that would be my fault Whereas in broadcast, you might be covering the green levy today. Tomorrow, you might be doing, you know, rape and crime and justice. Because right. as you said at the start, all of those things are political. Mm. So I have to have a much broader depth of knowledge, which means that I have to spend a lot more time speaking to a lot more people about things in a different way. Whereas in print, you can focus down a little bit more. It's just, a, it's a, it is relentless and it means your day is longer, but it means you're more varied too. I think it's, uh, I think Kate, you made a really good point about the power of MPs potentially using and working with the media. So, for example, yeah, I've worked with Harry at The Sun on keeping the cuts of fuel duty, but because you needed a national newspaper like The Sun to help put the pressure on government. And the and in that case, the media was useful. I remember, Kate, we worked, didn't we, when I did that 10-minute rule bill, and I wanted to get it airtime in advance of the 10-minute rule bill to sort yeah. of lead that into the day's agenda. So those are things that I think have been really... Uh, I think it's important to understand and obviously I've had like people like George Parker of the Financial Times come and visit Stoke-on-Trent and talk to residents in order to sort of try and make the point that Stoke's going to decide the next election because that then helps me when I'm lobbying government for money. Jonathan, <laughs> do you remember what happened when I came to visit you in Stoke? I do remember what Kate, I do remember, I do remember you came around and talked I don't know the story. What happened? We were walking round, we were walking round and we were, we were door knocking, we were going from door to door and I was trying to get a flavour for how many people really like Jonathan Gullis as their MP. He's trying to get a bit <laughs> an honest flavour see if we could find some people who didn't like him which would, would have been quite funny how many people did you what was the split did you manage to get a survey of do can we how, do people really like Jonathan Gullis and Stoke well what was quite surprising is that quite a lot of people did do like you um <laughs> No, I don't mean that. I mean, Quite surprising. No, I mean that because a lot of them were Labour voters and they were people who were saying, oh, I'd never vote Conservative, but I'll vote for you and I like you this I'm time gonna, around. I'm going to put on my leaflet, Kate McCann said it's quite, quite, surprising. quite surprising that people like Jonathan Gullis, <laughs> so that's the reason to vote for me at the next election. I think uh, I think what's interesting is when it comes to a campaign, I suppose um, this is both to both of you, but Harry, because we've just worked with you on the, on the Fair Fuel mm. stuff, do is this normally a campaign that you guys have picked up from external how often is it an mp comes to a newspaper and has an idea and says would this be something you endorse or is it normally an external group that's lobbying and then you would look to recruit mps or find sympathetic mps that would help raise the profile of it or as readers well it was yeah it comes from it comes with the letter bag most of all we 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 work out where where what what our readers are angry about on fuel it's been a slightly different one because it's such a long running campaign that actually we've had a number of sort of fuel champions right some rising stars some people who've you know returned to the backbenches from government obviously pretty patel did it for a long time george osborne once described robert Halfon, the mp as the most expensive mp in the house of commons because he campaigned on fuel duty with the sun i think for seven years in a row wow. before he was a minister and then george osborne actually i think appointed him in PP, his pps just, just, to to shut, just to shut him up yeah <laughs> um so the fuel one is, is different but uh, the thing about MPs, in the same way as journalists, there's lots of people, lots of MPs have lots of different interests, but they often align with where. So a good example is an MP like Greg Smith, who is very hot on the Transport Committee, very hot on HS2, very hot on strikes, because obviously we're that those stories are in the news a lot. We're suddenly actually doing more and more work with him, but we won't do that all the time. There'll be different characters come and, come and go. But in terms of the readers, I think it's useful to have 
it's not necessarily about picking favourites or promoting people, you know, for for, for, a re, for an agenda. But actually, it's quite useful to have characters. Um, mm. Where at the Sun, I try to sort of personalise politics as much as possible because often it's quite dry and dull. If you can have returning characters who who, who have issues and causes and come back and are trusted and reliable on those on those issues, I think it's a really helpful way of, of actually opening up what's going on in Westminster by putting a face on it. That's really interesting. Do you guys have like a a list of people then for certain topics that you would go to based on what they've been saying and stuff like <laughs> I that? Because wanna... I, I find, for example, on immigration, or because it's a topic I've been banging on about, when that's in the agenda, my phone rings a lot. When it's you know net zero, I, I don't surprisingly get as many phone calls. Yeah, there are experts on on different. There are different different people for different. I don't want to reveal the sound sausage is made too much there's also a list of people we won't put in the paper as well because you know renter quotes are, are, are a dangerous thing you should stick to um a, what you know about rather than just being the person at eight o'clock at night who will pick up the phone and say anything the worst what annoys me more than anything as a journalist is when an mp goes yeah yeah you just write something and just text it to me and i'll put it in the and yeah and that'll be fine i was like no i don't want that that's like low I, I think i might have said that <laughs> that's low that's low quality news you want you want people who actually know what they're talking about james i thought you said in, in one of our earlier episodes you don't talk to journalists that's true i must have been incorrect yeah <laughs> Lying, lies. Misled the podcast. <laughs> Misled the podcast. It is though. There is a reason for doing it. It's not just to make our lives easier as journalists, but it's actually because of something that Harry said before, which is that often MPs know more than they realise. And this is the thing that it's taken me quite a while. I mean, I've been doing this job now probably 10 years, and I would say it took me a good number of years to realise that they often don't realise how valuable what they know is. So you could be so speaking true. to somebody who you know, is campaigning on fuel duty and what they might think is normal and something that they expected to happen, we might be like, hang on, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. And you'll be like, oh, no, the cat's out of the bag now. And, <laughs> and that leads me to the other point, which is that, yes, we will work with people on these stories, but that doesn't mean that one day, if the MP slips up, then they will be on the receiving end of a story that they might not like. And the best MPs will understand that that is yeah. how the job works. Do you mean that people might think you, you're their friend and then they will one day find James, out? James is very upset that I a, went on a, a, a different podcast. And on that podcast, I may have suggested that politicos should always be slightly wary of being friends with journalists because one day that phone call will come when you say, look, mate, sorry, you're, you're banged to rights on this one. Um, that's not what I didn't say that, that friendship is impossible uh, in, in, the, in the Westminster village with that awful phrase. But there, there has to be some boundaries, yeah. But so, I mean, I found Westminster, it's an, um, you end up spending a lot of time socialising. You do become closer to people than you would do in a typical work environment. And you, so you, you, both of you have to cover people. You spend a lot of time with them, you know, socialising, going to an event. On planes with them. We have the famous photo of Harry when he's crowding around Boris on the, on the plane. Yeah, thanks, James. I didn't realise I didn't realize that was a thing. Is that, is that a popular meme, is it? <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great photo that you tweeted, Harry. But I think that but I think this goes to a really fundamental point about how political journalism works and and that's why I say that the best MPs do actually understand it which is that we are not your friends. I mean it is a really difficult and actually it's probably it's probably a hard thing to say but we can't be and we shouldn't be your friends. What we are is very fair. Most journalists and I I I'd actually Jonathan I'd be interested in your take on this. Most journalists try to be very fair and we will give you a hearing. But we will also, if we feel like it's justified and there's a story that needs to be written, that story will get written. And it works both ways. We don't pull punches because that's what we're here to do. We also, though, will call you and say, look, we're going to do this. You might not like it. I'm really sorry if you don't like it. And sometimes that can lead to difficult conversations. You know, I've done interviews with politicians on air where they, you know, we will have a good relationship and you'll come off air and you know that they feel like that was not fair. You went a bit too hard. I didn't like that. But the best ones will never say it. They will never come back at you and say that was really mean because they'll go away and they'll calm down. And they'll go, you know what? That is just how it works. That's you doing your job. I'm doing my job. And at the end of the day, we'll come away from it and we'll still have a good relationship. I think that's really interesting, Kate, because I remember when I spoke to um, James pulled me to one side um, and said, you've got to get out this mindset that they're the enemy like that's they've got a job to do you've got a job to do and they are going to run stories and if you say stuff don't be shocked that it's going to end up in the paper yeah i remember like you said kate i like to think that i'm someone who doesn't take it personally when you get a tough interview because that's the job and i suppose actually in some sense having gone on the media quite a lot during 
Boris Johnson's final six months in Didn't office. Did one of your interviews get nominated for an award? We're not going into that, James. We're not going into that. That's not even that's not even funny. I'm going to talk to you off air about that one. Because you've needed me successfully. Um, uh, yeah, yes. Well, we're going to come to about media, the media team catching people out when they're meant to be on a certain line and then they go off script. But I think you are right, Kate. At the end of the day, it's very important that we understand that, like you say, you've got a job to do. You are fair. I must say, everyone I've ever interacted with has been very fair. Um, I think the only ones I've ever had issue with are certain sort of more of the online not tra- non-traditional broadcast or uh, newspapers that kind of just pick up and have a certain angle i'm not going to name them uh because i'm sure they'll love that uh but i tend to find that you know it, like pippa the guardian uh if I, I spoke to her once when i was a minister about something that i thought was taken out of context and she kindly uh dealt with it and uh you know deleted a tweet that uh, i felt would be an unf- not a fair representation of what i said even though that's a newspaper i'd be told never engage with the anti-tory blah blah but i found pippa to be extremely professional and and fair-minded when hearing out what I had to say and then letting her make her own decision on what she wanted to do. And that's part of the reason why the lobby works so well, because the lobby, for all of its faults, and there are faults and we can come to those, it it is a self-policing environment. So if somebody is overstepping a mark or if somebody does something, breaks an embargo, for example, you know, a story that's supposed to come out at midnight and somebody does it early or somebody uses information that we've been given operationally, which means you can know about this, but you're not allowed to report it. If someone breaks those rules, then there is something that happens. You know, there's a somebody will come back on them within the lobby and say, "Well, hang on a minute." There's a, quite a fiery WhatsApp group. For... There is a fiery WhatsApp group. I wasn't going to go into the WhatsApp group, but we the can. lobby WhatsApp group. The lobby WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah is quite the. Uh, if you think your neighbourhood street WhatsApp group is a carnival of uh, <laughs> randomness, just that 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 thing. Sometimes, what? sometimes I hover over the leave button on it. What's the actual is is what's the purpose of that? Is that is the purpose of it, it more operational? It came around in the pandemic, to be fair, um, because everything had to go online, like like in every industry. So it, it sort of because lobby went online, the sort of lobby briefings went on to Teams or Zooms or whatever we ended up on, um, and the 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 the, 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 gap, the group was set up to ask questions, and then one person basically read them out rather than also all asking questions, um, and then it sort of survived that, um, and it's now slightly. <laughs> Occasionally, it becomes a place where people ask really stupid questions about what time is lobby, and someone else who's been around for ten years will go, "It's at eleven, like every day." But it's it's um it's um it can be quite a quite a quite stressful. So on that, in terms of how things work, I know a bit, but yeah. like I've I've never been on 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 a lobby call. So. Every day there's a lobby call at oh, in person. Early in person, up. yeah. Pretty much, and the, pretty and the other thing I was going to ask, I don't know if it's revealing too much. What I don't, I've never fully understood lobby versus dark lobby. Well, dark, what's dark lobby? Ah, <laughs> is it a kind of journalistic fight? It's club? nonsense. Like it's it's not. It's basically where. So say for take a completely hypothetical example, the leader of the free world may, might be coming to uh, to visit this country. Hmm. Can Number 10 spokespeople, persons, on the record, talk about that. No, it's a massive security risk. The same with Zelensky's visit or, you know, where's the the PMs going to Northern Ireland? Do they want to talk about that on the record and have it reported? No. Do they need to talk to us about it so we can get all our ducks in a row and get our teams out there and work out where, you know, cameras and logistics, media logistics is a huge thing that Hmm. people don't really, really understand. So there has to be an avenue for for discussions to be had in confidence and in trust to that benefit everyone and if you break that it, it it's it's more it's more of an annoyance for you because you don't know what's coming up next week and it's it's not that we you know it's not that we sit there and con- and concoct you know sort of secret lines and stuff it's often incredibly tedious stuff mm. about you know visits and yeah. and the prime minister you know the police go absolutely mad at you if you write where to with unless it's like within within a region if you write a town that the prime minister is going to be at that's a massive security risk if that's yeah. in the paper you get every anti-vax nutter and and worse descending on it so there's dark lobby has got a you know it's, it's, it's a ridiculous mythical term if you'd ever sat in one of them you'd think this was a planning meeting at a local council but just think about the amount of trust that's involved in that right because mm. You know, Jonathan's talking about the whip saying don't trust journalists. That the huge amount of trust. I I often think about this from the other way around. If I worked in number 10 or if I was an MP, would I trust journalists with the things that they tell us? 
And I really struggle with it because some of this stuff, as Harry says, is huge, you know, security information. It's detail that if somebody were to accidentally tell the wrong person, that would be catastrophic. And so this this kind of trust, this level of agreement between the journalists and the lobby and between Number 10 and others and the Labour Party too, that works for all parties. It's not just a government thing. It works across the board, is absolutely fundamental to how we do our work. And it's really hard, actually, when you start to think about where where do you draw the line? It's actually very difficult because sometimes what Number 10's decision-making process or what they will or won't tell us, we don't agree with. And we think they should tell us more or we think mm. that we should be able to report more. And so that becomes, well, where is the line? How far do we push? And then journalists need to talk to each other about, well, do we want to make a representation on this? Do we mm. think this is fair? So, yeah, it's a, it's a movable feast. It's really difficult to, to quantify. Uh, just going back to l just normal lobby, mm. could, could, what what is it? What's, it? what's its purpose? How, how does it function? So the Prime Minister's official spokesman, um, a guy called Max Blaine, comes to lobby every most days, pretty much every day, and we can and he's ask, a civil servant. He's a civil servant, so he doesn't get into party politics matters. That's once a week we have a sort of party political one on a Wednesday after PMQs. Okay. And we can ask him whatever we want. And most of the time it's questions that should have been sent to the Department of Education, first of all, for an answer. He has to be across everything Whitehall is doing. He has a massive folder with loads of tabs. <laughs> yeah, so he comes with this great big folder. And, um, and often if he doesn't know the answer, he will just say, look, I'll come back to you on that or I'll come back to you on that. Where the lobby works best is most of the time, this is why I think it would be a ridiculous idea to have put them on television because they were so dull and no one would actually watch them. And there is a bit of a call to do that. There was a bit of a call to do that. There's was, there was talk of doing it um, before. Most of the time, it's basically stress testing their lines. It's basically the government says X. We say, well, that's nonsense. What about this, 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 and this, and this? And where the lobby works best is actually when you go into almost like a pack mode. And it might not even be your story. So Pippa would ask something, or Jason from the, from the, from the mayor would ask something. And then other people would start to chime in and start to pull on the threads a little bit and say, well, hang on, what about this, this, and this, and this? And you end up basically getting to a, a clearer position on things when you all work together. And that's where I think people don't sort of, they sort of think that we, you know, we, that Max would arrive and just spoon feed us stuff. Most of the time, it's a really tedious argument about what the meaning of imminently means. Mm. Like, is imminently in the next 20 minutes or is imminently <laughs> next week? Is yeah. imminently before the next election? That is genuinely a conversation we have, I would say, about three times a week. <laughs> no plans. No plans for a reshuffle. No plans for a reshuffle today. No plans for a reshuffle on Wednesday. And it's just so much of it. You can imagine the first one they put on television. People would just be like, what is this clown show? And also people would be like, why does it matter? Because for political journalists, the definition, one tiny word can change so much. But yeah. for anybody listening just casually, they'd be like, hang on, he's already, he's already said that. But actually, no, he hasn't already said that. What he's just given you is a tiny bit more information. And mm. so the reason we do this every day, and the same topic will come up at the top of lobby every single day, we will talk about the same issue, and every single day you'll get a tiny bit more. Yeah. So by the end of the week, you have a little bit more than you had at the start of the week. Where it's where it's crucial, though, is, is, is trust. Um, it, if a spokesman, you know, misleads the lobby and it's knowingly misleading their their career is over where there is some sympathy as if the spokesman is sent out with a duff line and it's proved that that's a duff line very charged as we saw with murray foot i think it is in the membership in the, the smp yeah the, the spokesman was basically given duff information mm. felt on on a bound to resign when during the collapse of boris johnson and i think we actually saw the collapse of the lobby system working as it should the, the dark lobby was you know fell apart the other really no, yeah, yeah the whole thing didn't and happen. i mean the, the day that boris johnson resigned the day before boris johnson resigned the first question at lobby is was are you going to tell us the truth today and once you once you're into that territory you, you, your administration's done hmm. with the um obviously because like you say you do, government is where you want to talk to do opposition parties as the labor party is the official opposition do they have a set time or set program where you would engage with them, the the any spads on their side or pads, sorry, which and also, I'd love to know as well because we think we've let James off lightly here. James has already declared that he was a media spad. <laughs> uh, how what is how does the lobby interact with a media spad and what's the media spad meant to do? 
So first on Labour, they do have they don't have a regular lobby briefing every every day of the week, but on a Wednesday they do come. At, so after Prime Minister's questions, everyone leaves the press gallery where, as you said, the vultures sit, and we go into this really. <laughs> I regret that comment. <laughs> we go into this slightly odd room which has the world's longest table, and it's the most inefficient method of having a group meeting because there are probably about seventy members of the lobby, so seventy journalists who have to stand round this massive long table, and it's hugely wide. And the advisors stand on the other side of the big long table and not everyone can really hear. And then we ask questions of these people. It's, it's the most incredibly inefficient way of doing it. But Labour will actually listen to the government's briefing and before before they give their own. So that I find that really fascinating yeah. that they get to basically participate and lobby once a week. They get a bit of an insight that maybe people don't realise that they get. And then there's a bit of a reshuffle around and then Labour comes and they give their brief. They give their briefing. And it's it's a very similar thing. I mean, we asked you know, questions about party policy we ask questions about what's just happened in pmqs so it's a it's a kind of similar briefing but we don't get the same thing every day from them we can though call special advisors in the labor party and and they operate in the same way that special advisors in the government would and you would ring them up and say usually actually the the i mean james you can tell me this what time of the day is the worst <laughs> time to get a phone call from a journalist well you you know you're in trouble when it's close to deadline yes because exactly. it means you're basically about to get done over. So the worst time for a special advisor to get a phone call from a journalist is probably around five, six o'clock. Yeah. And that means we are about to give you some information. It's a courtesy call. It's a courtesy call, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> do not want. It's probably going to ruin your day. It's definitely going to ruin your dinner plans. Sorry about that. And the reason for that is because we've worked up a story all day long. We are very certain of the story. The story is going to go in the paper. We don't need you to help us stand the story up. But what we do need to give you is a right of reply. And that's obviously right. absolutely essential in this job the other time of day you can get a phone call is in the morning and that's a very different kind of phone call to a special advisor because what that will be is a journalist so there's a there's a thing called morning conference that happens in broadcast it happens in print and that is essentially where the journalist political journalist sells their stories into the news desk and the news desk will then go and you know put all the stories in a big basket decide which ones are the best and then they will go either at the top of the program or they'll go in the top of the paper at that point in the day, we're calling you to try and find out if something that we hope is going to happen or a story that we hope we can tell, that you might be able to help us tell it and or that we want to find out more information to piece together a story. So there's two different types of calls. And I mean, James, you tell us, what, what's it like being on the receiving end of a phone call from a journalist? Uh, well, I mean, if I can say this, so going back, I remember my first few months mm. and we stopped, we started about the, the you know location of the lobbies in, in Parliament. And I remember going up there for the first time. And uh, the truth is, because look, uh, you started by saying about training for journalism, there's no training to be a spad. So you're kind of sent up. And I genuinely was like, what can they quote me on? Like, if I say good morning, <laughs> does that mean they're going to say the person that worked for Michael Gove said good morning? Like, what, <laughs> what, what are the rules? I had no idea what the rules are at all. Who did you ask? Uh, so I was very lucky that, I mean, I had... Obviously, I had Lee Kane mm -hmm. had already been a special advisor, and kind of I would call him up a lot and just say, "If I say this, like what you know, am I might not say this. What, what are the rules?" And then, and the truth be told, I think we we touched on it earlier. There's that balance between, as I've said to Jonathan, you know, everyone's got a job. I didn't view it as friends and not friends. I viewed it as people have a job to do, yeah. and like in the same way that you know, it's not my job to tell you everything that my boss is doing or whatever or divulging the information. You know, sometimes it, it's your job that's going to, you're going to run a story that's not, you know, great for me. Um, and and in that, but in that vein, in terms of like kind of working together, I found like there was quite, there was a few people in the lobby. I mean, I, I've known both of you, I think since pretty much I started, who would kind of just give you a bit of guidance, which, which is not, it, which isn't, it being you know overly friendly anyway, it's the sense of saying this is how it works, you know, mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff. Harry's main advice was, you know, if you find out anything, immediately call me. <laughs> uh, it's totally fine. I'll treat it entirely confidentially. You can tell me what's going on. I've had the same um, advice, James. I've had the same advice. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I think he gives everyone that. Um, but it, it is. I found it really, really daunting. I was scared. I remember. I remember walking up that corridor. I was really scared. Yeah. Can I tell you a funny story as well? Sorry on this one, because I I was told that near the lobby there's this cafe that does the best toasties in Parliament, Ooh, and I've gone up there, up there yeah. <laughs> and I I don't know how true it was at the time, so I've gone up there. Don't know how I've gone in the wrong way. Walked into a room to see the vultures, 
Uh, no, the journalist. <laughs> walked into a place called the Old Bar. That's the, the Old Bar. Oh, I they walked in there and saw all of them. There, yeah. And saw all of them. And there was this moment where everyone just looked up at me like, "Why are you here?" I looked at them like, "Oh my god, what what's going to happen?" And literally <laughs> ran to my office because in fear <laughs> that somehow I'd get in trouble. Is this part uh, of your claim that you don't speak to journalists? Which is that's what you tell the chief? I'm, I have only ever, my friend, been on the record, and there's plenty of places you can find my quotes on the record. And sometimes I don't even have to give a quote; I just say something in the chamber that apparently is newsworthy, and I suddenly find myself in a number of newspapers. Do you know what? That's actually a really good point because there are some MPs who will only speak to journalists on that basis, mm. so they will speak to a journalist but only on the basis that they will say things that they want on the record mm. and there are other MPs and special advisors who will speak quite openly and at length on background on something called background which is essentially the terms of that mean that you are not to be quoted it's the kind of this is trying I'm trying to help you or I'm trying to help myself mm. but I don't want to be quoted on it and there's a real difference actually between MPs on that front there used to be something called lobby terms which has sort of died out I was going to say because lobby terms is basically background well it's it, it's, it's quotable, but it's it's anonymous. It still basically. exists on so the how, committee it, corridor. On the how committee would that corridor. appear in a paper? Well, how so would you describe that terms, kind of You would quote? say a senior minister said this, a, okay. a, 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 a government official, a special advisor. I wouldn't really say special advisor. You'd say sort of Whitehall thing. source? Special Whitehall advisor. source is no. meant to be civil servants, but okay. often special advisors who are temporary civil servants insist on using it as, as an... I don't like Whitehall sources because that could literally mean... Anyone. It could mean anyone. Well, sometimes that is of great benefit. <laughs> Which is why we don't like it and you do. Um, but lobby terms is basically, you can say an MP told me this, X, Y, Z, and you can quote them. Right. And that's where the sort of background is sort of blurred into that. But that's, there's a really interesting example of where that does still work, which is that there is the 1922 committee, which is the committee of backbench Tory MPs, mm. which meets fairly regularly on committee corridor, which is a huge long corridor in Parliament, massive big committee rooms. And weirdly, this is one of the weirdest parts of my job to try and explain to normal people. We spend quite a lot of time standing outside a door <laughs> when that committee is on. Not to try and listen, although some that I will not name, two very senior journalists were listening at that door once and the MPs opened it and they Flap. fell into yeah, the no room. Yeah, no way. They've been um, called me flappy ears forever since. Yeah. <laughs> really? I think so, they are. And we're not allowed to do that. Um, but we all stand outside this room and we wait for the committee and it's so performative because the MPs know that we're there so they bang on the table really loudly. Yeah. Or if they're really annoyed with the person who's going, like the Prime Minister or whatever, they don't bang. Oh. A, we, we take it as a temperature. Kate, there's but no then, performance, I promise you. We're, oh, just, yeah, we're, we're just happy. We're just happy. To see, we're just happy. Sometimes they bang the inside of the door just to make sure we really hear yeah. it. <laughs> but then when they come out, when those MPs come out of that committee, they will talk to us in that corridor. But in that corridor, it's called lobby terms. Yeah. So the person ah. is not quoted on the record unless when we ask and say, do you want to be on the record? You explicitly say yes. If you don't say yes, it's not quoted on the record. But we can quote you as a Tory MP. And do you think, so have they know, how do they know that? So Jonathan, you're not always, that We always now. ask. We always yeah. ask. So we, if we speak to you, Jonathan, outside that committee and you start talking to us, we will say to you at the end, because it's often a pack, is that on the record? And if you say yes, right. then, then it is. If you say you can have that last bit on the record, but everything before then isn't, then we can use that particular quote. <laughs> I just want the Chief Whip to know I, I will never do that. Uh, <laughs> The word lobby came from the members' lobby of the House of Commons. I've got one my parts, so actually haven't got it on me, but there's an L on it. And so mm. not all journalists have it. Not all press gallery journalists have it, but there's an L on the pass, which means you can go into members' lobby, and the only people that are allowed in there are members, doorkeepers, and journalists with an L on their pass. And right. that's where lobby terms came because anything said in that, anything said in that tiny room where uh, Margaret Thatcher's statue is where they rub the, rub the foot for good luck on the way into the House of Commons, anything said on there is on lobby terms. So right. even it could be it could be the Prime Minister. In fact, previous Prime Ministers have walked past and said stuff on lobby terms. You can't quote it. You, no. can, you can quote it, but you can't say who, you can't say who it is. Yeah. But interestingly, a top fact about that lobby, which um, is a huge big marble room, as Harry says, lots of statues, um, has all these beautiful big benches around the outside of it. Journalists are not allowed to sit in them. The only people who are allowed to sit in them are MPs, and it's to stop us from lingering because yeah. we're not uh. allowed to linger in that area. We can kind of walk through with purpose, and catch eyes, and, and catch yeah. eyes. If you but just stand there all day, they move. They'll you on. move you on. Yeah. yeah. And so I have sat with journalists where there's been a discussion about what 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 constitutes background, what constitutes off the record. And there's been a disagreement yeah. of, yeah, it's, with it's people in the lobby. And I've seen someone say, well, back, background means this. And then there's well, like, well, no, deep, no, background? That's, or deep background. Deep background. So, what, so I don't know. Should is there agreement between give, give your version? They're all the same. Exactly. So for me, it would be, be. <laughs> for me, off the record means 
all right, this is you're, you're right, this is happening, but I don't want nothing to do with me. Gov, keep my keep me away from it. Hmm. You know, it, it's a nod on stuff often, more often than not. So not you wouldn't put it. You, there would be no quotation no marks. No, 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 no nothing. That's just a that's just a son understands. That's you know. That's I, when you see that, or, or you know, Times Radio, Talk TV understands. Yeah. That means somebody yeah. with enough credibility has told me that this is true. That I am confident I can report it and I won't be wrong. Hmm. But I cannot tell you yeah. who. Then background means have you know, Philly boots, but this ain't from me. Yeah. So that's the Tory MPs, the allies off is a new one that crips into the lexicon. Yeah. Allies. Who's allies? Friends off. Well, friends off. used to be friends off, but that used to be, friends off used to be the, the person. The person, yeah. That still is the person. Yeah. Friends off means this person has told me, but they want it to look like someone else has told me. Exactly. So they've got one. Well, they've got friends. No, they've got, they've got, they've got deniability in the court, basically. Yeah. Okay. That's where it started. It's well, basically, you can say, I didn't say that. But yeah. you have to be really careful with that particular category because for exactly the reason that Harry said, there is no accountability. And mm. what can happen to you, and I've seen people be caught out by this, you can get people who will give you what looks like a great story, re- loads of really good information straight to you, but on background, on background. And that might mean that that person has an agenda and they mm. want to see one of their political rivals brought down or they want to see a particular policy fail and they mm. will feed you a line hoping that you will then go and write or tell a story saying, oh, HS2 is not good, isn't, you know, that's mm. terrible. Oh, policy. No, no, that story was true. No, yeah. no, no. I, I plucked it out of thin air. That wasn't, I wasn't, that wasn't a dig at you. That was a great story. Um, but they will, they will tell you all the stuff and they'll hope that you won't go and cross-check it. And the job of a really good journalist there is to go and ring a load of other people and go, I, I just wondered, have you heard anything about this? And when you get enough people coming back and saying, oh, yeah, I did hear that, actually, then you know it's credible and then you use it. But you would never use that kind of a quote just on its yeah. own. But you got to filter. You are the filter. It's called second sourcing. That's really important. But also, in a way, it put, partly, isn't this almost like the heart of the lobby, which is you spend your days talking to a whole variety of people, government ministers, MPs, special advisors, civil servants, etc., and they've generally got an agenda. You know, if I if I'm if I'm in yeah. a department, I have an agenda. So outside of doing a straight, oh, tomorrow my boss is announcing this, here's the press release, right? A lot as you said, the kind of background stuff is it's my line on things, you know. We're in we're in control of X. Some, yeah. I, I was gonna say, how do you guys who are on the end of these calls, you know, I've I've been on one side, but you're getting five different versions of it. You've got to work out when you write the piece or you go on broadcast to say this is what's this is what I understand is happening or this is why we are where we are or this is why there might be a problem down the line. How how do you piece together what's going on? You've got to take a judgment call at the end of the day and that's where you get your credibility from is that you've got to get these things right. And often the you can take a bum steer on stuff and look like a bell in the next day because you've 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 gone too far on the other side and actually you know, you often you get people trying to bounce stuff. So someone will say, Right government's going to do this next week. And you go, wow, great story, run it. And then they come out and go, well, hang on, no. And it's one element of one department's trying to push number 10 to do it. Yeah. Or often number 10 are trying to push a government department to do something they don't want to do. It's much harder to say you're not going to do it when it's been splashed across the papers. Mm. So you've got to, you've, the skill is, you know, the skill in inverted commas is, 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 is sucking it and see and, and basically working out who's credible. You've got to make a judgment call on that stuff. And every single day you're making hundreds of these decisions of, who can you trust? How reliable is the information? Does it stack up with other people's accounts of things? And, but, at, you know, for me, and it's different for Kate, but at, at six o'clock, seven o'clock, I've got to make a judgment call of what's the intro? Who's, who's, whose version of events are we believing? Or do we blend it into something? Often that's why things can be sort of almost there, because you're not quite sure enough, because other people have talked stuff down so well, mm. or have pushed stuff really hard, or... Or whatever it is, there's you gotta you gotta at the end of the day it's judgment call and that's your byline next to it or your face on TV. Yeah, and actually there's a there's a really important point about the lobby. You'll find a lot of journalists in the lobby will stay around for many years. This might be the only job I ever do. I mm. hope it is, I love it. But you know, and people don't want to leave because they want to spend decades doing it. And what that means is you cannot afford to risk your credibility and your longevity in this career with a story that that, that goes wrong. The other thing is something happens behind the scenes. What Harry's describing there, that process of sifting information. We have to sell our stories into a news desk, an editor. 
Mm. And that editor will will criticize or kind of scrutinize everything that we say. So if we go to an editor and say, I've got this great story, it's about the government's going to do this. They'll go, well, hang on, what? Don't we already know that? Haven't we already heard that before? And you say, no, 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 you think so, but this. And then they'll go, okay, fine, well, when? And if you can't answer all of their questions, then your yeah, story is not getting testing. on the front page. The stress testing that goes on, people just sort of presume that you just stick any old shit in the newspaper. You mm. don't. It goes through the process of, 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 of yeah, editorially, legally, morally, inter- in, internally for yourself. You, 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 the, the number of different directions stories are pulled in is 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 one and, and sometimes you do get them wrong sometimes you make a bad call on that and you know you've got to you've got to take the knocks but you know the thing about the lobby is actually what we talked about it being quite self-pleasing you know who the cowboys are you right. always know who the cowboys are and you know who's credible and because you see it because we read every single word our colleagues and our other friends and our rivals mm. right and you are you're all of those things your rivals and and colleagues but you, you know, you, it doesn't take long to work out who takes a punt now and then. You both say. talked about stress testing, and Harry, you mentioned it earlier about you know, sort of, you're given the line. And I suppose for Kate Morgan, and now she, now you're in broadcasting. How frustrating can it be if you're given like a minister, you expect them to be on the government line, but then let's say you're being told you've got a number of backbench Conservative MPs and they're just sticking to the line is that do you expect that to always be the case, or actually can that be quite dull? Because ultimately, obviously, what you want to hear is is there a difference of opinion and the public obviously can get frustrated when someone's rigidly sticking to a line that has been fed to them in preparation by in my case i will be prepped by conservative research department i'll obviously have like a briefing that i'd use like how frustrating is that because i have always found that you're trying to get that balance between not being like just a robot but but also obviously making sure that you're not undermining the government's agenda because ultimately to win elections i need the government in my case to look good because obviously they're the party in charge I think for a lot of people watching TV, watching politicians on TV, they accept that that tension exists. They're not stupid. People understand that politicians are selling something and they understand that journalists are trying to find where the gaps are. And sometimes they enjoy watching it. Sometimes they really hate it. I mean, does anyone remember that clip of Ed Miliband? I think he answered the same question. <laughs> These strikes are wrong. These the negotiations are, wrong. are ongoing. Exactly. And he was, so he was asked by a broadcaster the same question five times. And he gave a word for word answer five times. And I know why he did that. Because he thought, well, if I just keep answering the same thing, there's no way they're going to play this clip out in full because it looks so stupid. What he didn't count on was the fact that the broadcaster turned the tables and thought, well, fine, if you're not going to play ball, I'm going to play the same thing out five times. And he looked really silly for doing it. It's a really bad tactic. It doesn't work. So, yeah, it can be frustrating for the journalist, but I actually think it, it reflects worse on politicians ultimately because people don't like it. And they, exactly as this whole conversation revolves around using your gut instincts, using your own moral judgment, knowing where the lines are, so do people do the same thing. They watch you on TV and they think, nah, don't believe him. Not credible, doesn't pass a sniff test, yeah. don't like it. So it doesn't work. And and the Tory party and the Labour party know that. That's why they put certain people up more than others. Michael Gove can be very difficult, I imagine, for the Conservative Party as a person to put up on broadcast because he gives honest answers, which is why he's amazing to interview. Because mm. if he thinks something is wrong, he'll say something like, hmm, you know what? There is something in that. And you, the journalist thinks, great, we've got a proper answer. And he goes away and thinks, well, I've been honest and true to myself. And the party thinks, why did you do that? Probably. But, you know. The chance has got to find that money. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And actually, sometimes that's serving his agenda. For a journalist interviewing somebody, I find it really, really, really annoying when I know that someone doesn't agree with the line that they are giving me mm. and then they give it to me five times. That's where I always find the most uh, uneth- not uneth- unethical is the wrong word, it's too strong, but the most morally dubious part of politicians and their relationship with the media is when I know and Kate knows, and we all know that that same person mm. has been the one that's stirring all the trouble up, and they come onto broadcast and just give a nice little Richter's grin and give the government line five seconds after texting journalists saying, "Well, no, PM's not got even." To, PM's so got to go. Sometimes you'll finish the clip, the camera will turn off, and they'll say, "Is the microphone off?" And then they'll tell you what they really think, and that really? is infuriating. And actually, those types of people don't—I don't ask yeah, them yeah. back because yeah. Do you lose they respect are, for them. Yeah. I think on a personal level, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I understand that they are doing a job. As Jonathan says, you know, he's been briefed by a number of people. He's got a lot of people looking over his shoulder, expecting him to do something. And you want to be thought of by your party as helpful and you want to further your party's aims. That's why you are an MP. It's why I could never be an MP. But at the same time, you do have to find a balance. And actually, Jonathan, I think there is a way to find a balance of doing both things at once. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully yeah, well I think sometimes being honest has landed me with a text message from James going just a clown emoji. Uh and, <laughs> and knowing honesty, that I'm in big trouble. Jonathan, I think it's about language as well. Luckily yeah. we're blessed with a, a number of politicians of, of the age who are willing to go off the go off right. the go off the line. I think um today it's been amazing today because I think there's there's been a lot of honesty today and it's been really interesting to uh for understand, you know, how how the lobby works. The last question I've got for both of you mm. is are it, are me and Jonathan, are we ready for our lobby pass? Would we get approved? <laughs> if we go forward now as budding journalists, would we Would we get the pass? Starkey, I think you'd cause no end of chaos. <laughs> I think you'd both cause absolute chaos. And, and I it think you're be... both welcome to come and do a shift. Okay. <laughs> Actually, that much. would be a good podcast. Why don't you come do a shift? I am so up for that. As long as James, start, James, James yeah. will insist on being allowed into the lobby WhatsApp group. You understand that, don't you? <laughs> well, if I was going to say shift. this to you. So I was going to say this to you before because, I mean, we're all about lifting the lid here, aren't we? Being honest. The last couple of chats in the lobby WhatsApp group is somebody asking what time the Prime Minister's clip will go out <laughs> and a lot of conversation about where to get your bike tagged on the parliamentary <laughs> stage. <laughs> so I hate to break it to you, but it really is not. Should we tell them about lobby banter? There is another group. There is another group. Oh, I love WhatsApp. There was so group. much, so much tragically bad banter over the years. I think it was during the sort of fall of Theresa May that eventually there was decided that some people are generally trying to use this group for for work purposes. So they set up something even worse, <laughs> which was called lobby banter, which you don't have to be in, but you can be. I love and it. I'm I'm all about lobby. honestly. If you think dad jokes are uh, a bad, really, have I got a WhatsApp group for you? Well, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you, Harry, that the Conservative MPs WhatsApp group every morning we wake up to Gag and Mahindra telling us whose birthday it is today, and everyone wishing that individual What's happy birthday. When they made Did up, it? they made up someone. Yeah, what was the name of the MP that somebody put in the group and said happy birthday, like you know Ben Flowerpot and and loads of people. I think even Therese. <laughs> I think Trace Coffee was the one that rumbled it. So I've, never it. I've never heard of this guy. Presumably because she's been doing a lot of name counting. But loads of people, camping. loads of Tory MPs were like, happy birthday, have a nice day. They made up a constituency that's like Southwest North Devon or something, wasn't yeah. it? No way. <laughs> yeah, it's just over the weekend. To this weekend? Yeah, last weekend, yeah. I don't know about that. I missed yeah. out on the joke. On that joke. It went over my head as two probably Did you say happy birthday to Ben Flower? happy birthday, yeah. I might do now. I might have to go back in the group now and just say, oh, by the way, I'm really sorry for, for missing I hear he's standing down. He's doing a chicken run. <laughs> <laughs> you sent in some Stoke pottery already, probably, Jonathan. Probably. I, 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 you know, yeah, do like to make sure that wherever we are, we check. I, at the last away day in Parliament, there um, there was no Stoke pottery. So in the middle of the dinner, so whilst, the Andrew Strauss is, <laughs> whilst Andrew Strauss is... Strauss is talking. I decided to text the main Conservative MPs WhatsApp group. This is a disgrace. Where's the Stoke Pottery? What response Which, uh, did you got get? me in trouble. Blocked. <laughs> You've been removed from the group. Do you ever get people removed from the MPs group? If if I got removed from WhatsApp group, I'd find out from Harry Cole or Kate McCann first. I'll tell you that because it'd be. Uh... I like to see my favourite MPs WhatsApp group chats are when someone says we shouldn't be having this chat here because it will get leaked. <laughs> yes, and it gets leaked. Yes. Those are well, my favourite ones. In the same way that. Um... The funniest leak is when a leak inquiry is yeah. <laughs> Please don't leak this, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you both so much for being with us. That was a really interesting chat about the lobby and thanks for being so open and honest. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Now, I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll get binned out of the lobby WhatsApp group. Well, me and Jonathan are ready to replace you now. So well, you'll, you'll get kicked out of the lobby WhatsApp group. I've got a meeting with the chief whip incoming, I'm sure, so I look forward to that. I look forward to reading about that. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to writing about it. <laughs>